Hallelujah. Why don't you stand with me one more time? Stretch your hands forth towards the, the box. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much that we can be debt free. <clears throat> Come on, let's say that together. Father, we thank you that we can be debt free. Therefore, I declare that I am debt free. Not according to my works, but according to yours, which you brought in Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, thank you for it. I believe. No, no, no. I confess and I believe that I am debt free. Somebody said, well, it don't look like it. That's all right. You're in good company. <laughs> I said, you know, sometimes people don't say that, but that's true. Well, I don't see it. I don't feel like, well, that's okay. You're in good company. How many of you in here are completely and totally debt free? Raise your hand. Completely and totally. See, you're in good company because there's only about two or three people. You're in good company. So let's say it together with an expectation of faith. Let's say it with a belief in our heart. Say, Lord, I don't see it. It doesn't manifest right now. But that doesn't matter. I call those things that be not as though they were. And I declare, I am debt free. Now, what happens on the inside of you when you say that? That'd be my question. Is there an excitement? Do you see it? You don't see it yet? All right, let's say it again. I declare, according to your word, that I should owe no man nothing except to love him. So I believe that is the word of God. And so I confess, I am debt free now what happens on the inside of it? I am debt free well isn't that lying Abraham said Every time somebody said, yo, Abraham, they said his name and the meaning of his name was father of many nations. And he didn't have no children. That's like going up and hugging on somebody and saying, my, 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 that is a beautiful family you got. And ain't nobody standing there but her husband. The same God that spoke and out of his mouth, out of his faith, because God is faith, out of his faith, he created everything that we see out of nothing as a result of what he spoke. The Bible says in Romans that it is with the heart that man believes and salvation is made by confessing, by confession. 
So when we stand up here and we confess these things together, we're not doing it as a ritual. I'm doing it with you to try to drill it home in you and in me that every time we come to church, if you don't say it any other time, that bless God, when you come here, you say I'm debt free. I'm good looking. I'm rich. I'm a major blessing. I can do all things. There's purpose in my life. There's destiny in my life. You get all kind of other junk during the week. But if you're going to come here, you're going to get that. I am called of God. Say that. I am called of God. I am not a mistake. I was fearfully and wonderfully made. You were not an afterthought. That's none of that's my message. But you know, you 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 are never listen, you and I are never gonna see anything manifest in our life believing God for five minutes. It just it's not gonna, it doesn't happen. Even salvation, even true salvation, is not something that happens as a result of an effort in our part it's all his part but you and I have to reach out with the arm of faith and it's not a mental listen to me it's not a mental ascent to salvation that's not what salvation is salvation is a heartfelt change inside your heart that happens well it's the same thing with anything else in our life It doesn't happen as a result of us saying it one or two times. Because you're not, listen to me, you're not saying it to try to get it to happen. You're saying it because in your heart it's already manifested. Do you see the difference? You don't say I'm whole, I'm healthy to try to, okay... There are times when you and I say things and you and I know in our heart, it's, it's, it's like uh, I heard a preacher say one time that their ministry had grown to such a degree that they needed, uh, they needed an airplane. Well, I lost some of you right there. But they needed a plane because the demand for the word and the message was so great He could not get the word and the message out to everyone and to everything that wanted it and desired it without having a way to crisscross across the country at God's will, not at the airline's will. And so they were believing God for a plane. And he said, at first, I couldn't get the planes inside my heart. I mean, the wings were sticking out. Sometimes in our life, we're saying things and we're declaring things with our mouth We're just, honestly, we're believing God and having faith that we'll have faith. You understand? But there comes a moment when you speak it and you confess it and it's no longer out here in the by and by. I mean, it's in here and you know it. At that point, at that moment is when heaven begins to move and operate and causes those things to change in our life. No one gets saved on a whim. They get saved because... 
Why do I keep going back to salvation? Because salvation is the key that is the, is the precedent-setting event that everything in our life we're going to believe God for, we get the same way we got salvation. If you believe it in your heart and confess with your mouth, what's going to happen? Well, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you will be healed, that's what's going to happen. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that you'll be out of debt, guess what? It will happen. It may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, but it doesn't matter because once you and I realize and recognize it's done in here, then it's just a matter of time before the natural catches up with what's happened in the spiritual. Amen. So say it one more time. I believe according to your word (laughs) that though you were rich, yet for my sake you became poor, that I, through your poverty, might be made rich so that I can establish your covenant and your kingdom upon this earth. And I can't do that if I got debt. So I believe and I confess that I am debt free. I don't owe nobody nothing. Like my grandfather said, you don't, know, you, you don't have to do anything except die and pay taxes. Even the scripture says that. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the resurrection. Right? Hallelujah. She don't care about y'all. She don't. She sees her daddy up here. She's coming to help. Father, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for such a wonderful time we've had already. And now, Lord, as we switch over to the feeding upon the Word of God, Lord, we keep our hearts connected and hooked up with a full expectation that you will download everything you need to download this morning. Hallelujah. Take your Bibles and just say, I believe I am what this says I am. I have what this says I can have. And I can do what it says I can do. I believe I will receive everything you have for me this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Sometimes I think Haley goes, goodness gracious, I wish he'd heard. I've been standing up here all morning. But it's good though. I like. I should, we should just preach with her back there on the background all the time, just music playing. Joel chapter two, verse twenty-five. That's where we're going to begin this morning. Let me get a couple of things out of the way uh, before we get started. You don't want to miss next week. Turn to your neighbor and say, "You don't want to miss next week." And everybody said, "Why?" Well, two reasons. Number one, it's the third installment of a message that you wanted, number one. You asked for it. That's why we even titled these messages, You Asked For It. We handed out survey cards last year, towards the end of last year, and we got a bunch of responses back, and we got them together, and we put them together, and we came up with the top four responses. And so last week was How to Live a Stress-Free Life. That was by far, I mean, it was like, two horse links ahead of everything else. It was how to live a stress-free life. And so we talked about that. If you, didn't, if you weren't here and you want to listen to it, you can go online. Today's is can God restore a broken family? That was number two response. 
The third response was, can God use me as a result of my past? And so next week you don't want to miss it because Cornell waved to everybody. Everybody look at Cornell. Cornell, who's the youth uh, pastor, we will actually be praying him in and setting him in next week. And he's going to preach. So he's going to be a lot of him preaching and laughing at the same time because he loves Jesus, right? So you don't want to miss next week. And then the week after that is going to be the fourth and last installment of the message you asked or the series you asked for. And it's how does God view sexuality? Don't worry. We're going to have all the kids back there in the back for children's church that Sunday. And we're going to have, uh, we're going to have them out of here because, next, because that Sunday is going to be rated PG-13. <laughs> I was trying to think, how can we, how can we hype this up? Because, you, you know, people, people are interested in that kind of stuff. And I thought, well, I want you to tell everybody, y'all want to come here. Y'all want to come to my church on that Sunday because my pastor's preaching a PG-13 sermon. And we're going to talk about how does what? God. Not the world. We're not going to talk about the world. We're going to talk about how God views sexuality. So you don't want to miss it. Amen. Joel chapter 2, you've had plenty of time to get there. Joel chapter 2, verse 25. So I will, now Joel is prophesying about the nation of Israel. We know in Galatians, we know in Hebrews, we know all throughout the New Testament that God has said that we are the children of Abraham. We are descendants, we are heirs and heirs according to that promise. So this promise that I'm about to read to you is what? Your promise. Joel chapter 2, verse 25. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. I mean, he got all of them. You know what I'm saying? Nothing that's been crawled, chewed, or consumed that won't be brought back. My great army, which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Are you satisfied this morning? And praise the name of the Lord God who has dealt wondrously with you. Can God restore a broken family? Does anybody want to answer that question? Yes. God can and will and does restore a broken family. You understand that God's plan for redemption, that God's plan for restoration weaves from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Go ahead and turn there because I'm going to go ahead and get that one out of the way too. I want to go ahead and set the foundation. I mean, Revelation chapter 21. While you're turning there, Ephesians 1 says, 4 says, He chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy. 1 Peter 1.20 says, He was chosen, He being Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world. Revelation chapter 21. This message weaves throughout... The scriptures. All the way. You can't get away from it. No matter how hard you try, you can't get away from God's redemption, God's restoration of His people. You can't get away from it in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the temple was always being restored. The people were always being restored. Why? Because once God loves you, He don't give up on you. And He loved you and me before the foundation of the world. Think about that for a minute. 
Our minds can't hardly wrap around that. But God knew what was going to happen. But yet he still planned because he wanted a people, he wanted a children, he wanted a family that would love him and that he could show and demonstrate his love to. He wasn't looking for slaves. That's what he has angels for. And them angels, to a third of the angels in heaven went with Lucifer on that horrible day where God cast him down to the lake of fire. He didn't want that. He wanted you. Can God restore a broken family? You betcha. He, he has set things in motion from day one. Actually, from before day one. Before there was a day one, He set it in motion. Said before the foundation of the earth. He predestined us. He predestined us. Revelation chapter 21 Verse 1, I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. He said, Now, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new, somebody say new, Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Does God believe, does God, can God restore a broken family? Yes, He can. He sure can. He can do it to such a degree where not only will he restore it. You know, a lot of these, uh, some of the the shows that I like to watch on uh, Velocity, the channel Velocity, is these restoration shows. I have an old truck and we've been in the process of restoring that truck and painting and doing all kind of stuff. I don't know, there's something about it that, not, not to say that I don't like new, but there's something about taking something that was thrown away or, uh, I mean, the top, the, the top watch, one of the top watch shows in America right now is uh, Fixer Upper, where they take these houses that are just almost destroyed, and Chip and Joanna Gaines, who are Christians, by the way, so you got Duck Dynasty, and now you got Chip and Joanna Gaines, and, and they're taking these homes that nobody wanted anything to do with, and when they get done, everybody wants one. There's something about taking uh, 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 something that's run down and old and, and left for nothing and restoring it. If you talk to anybody that knows what they're doing when it comes to restoration of older cars, when they get done restoring that car, guess what? It's better than when it's rolled off the showroom floor. How can you improve? You can't improve what God has done in us. You can't improve us other than to take us where we're currently at and set us back into His original plan, which was the Garden of Eden. That's salvation does but the full culmination of this will not take place until this verse has come to pass can God restore a broken family yes he can so with that in mind I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15 Luke chapter 15 this is where we're going to begin and so as I was as I was praying you know 
I think sometimes the question of can God restore a broken family is answered in Scripture. Um, everybody knows the answer is yes, but sometimes if you look in Scripture and you see a process of restoration, it gives you a blueprint of how you and I can believe and see restoration. Uh, let, me, let me put it to you this way. Um, as I was praying about this, I heard the Lord say, He said, teach them what restoration is. Teach them what restoration is so that they can believe me for that restoration. If you and I don't know the process of restoration, can God restore a broken family? Yes. What is the process? What are the scriptural uh, outlines? What are the, the steps that we need to take in order to see restoration? Because sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we don't, and so we think that things just miraculously happen, and they, they don't. But His burden is easy, and His process is light. We make it complicated. You know, you got to do 15 Hail Marys and whatever. No. Mm -mm. No. Even in our charismatic circles, we think that you got to pray a long time. Before you get restored. Or you got to pray to make something happen. Now we talked about that last week. About how that when you, when, when you supplicate. The supplication is for you not for him. The supplication is for us. In this natural world. Because in the spirit there's no time. But yet we live in a world that is confined and controlled by the enemy. He is the God, little g, of this world. And so when you and I pray, when you and I stand in faith, when you and I believe, you and I are coming against all the cohorts of hell against everything that we're trying to believe God for. That is not something that necessarily happens overnight. So the supplication is where we fully transfer the burden of what we're carrying over to Him. Not for Him to work and to move, but He uses us. Everybody say, He uses me. Turn to your neighbor and say, He uses you. He uses you and I to fulfill His plan on this earth. Well, if the enemy can keep you and I in broken fellowship with each other and with God, we'll never accomplish what God wants us to do. Never. So God's plan for restoration is weaved throughout the whole Bible. There's a book, I can't remember the author, but it's called The Scarlet Thread. You remember the author? I can't remember the author, but it's called The Scarlet Thread. And he talks about, he takes every book, goes through the entire Bible, and shows you the thread of redemption of Jesus all throughout Scripture. It's the, only, it's the only book, the Bible is the only book that from cover to cover has the same subject written by 40 different authors over thousands of years and it still has the same central theme. God's redemption for man through Jesus Christ. Powerful. So can God restore a broken family? Yeah. But how? That's what I felt like. How? What's the process? Luke chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And Jesus goes and he begins to talk about the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. And I want to go down to the parable of the lost son, verse 11. Then he said, A certain man 
had two sons. Somebody say two. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, now I want you to notice something. He said a certain man. He didn't say uh, there could be. No, he said there might be. What if? Now he said a certain man. That tells me that this is an actual story. Jesus is telling us an actual story. A certain man had two sons, and the younger son of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them, them, his livelihood. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far off country. It's pause right there. You understand that in Jewish culture, it was an insult for you to ask for your inheritance before it was time. So he insulted his father. He showed his disrespect and his disloyalty and his dishonor to his father by simply asking him the question. But how did the father respond? In love. It says not many days after. Somebody say not many. That's not three years. How many days? Not many days after you got your driver's license, were you driving? No, that's not a good one. Not many days after my birthday was I up at the DMV getting my driver's license. Some of y'all folk, y'all be turning 16 and y'all don't, I don't know about, I was there the day after my 15th birthday. My, my mom took me because I wanted my learner's permit because I'd already been riding the dirt roads. All you city folk, just close your ears. I'd already been riding the dirt roads since I was like 11. <laughs> I had to sit one of them crates on my dad's 1974 Ranger regular cab. I had to sit a crate up and I almost stand up and drive at the same time. <laughs> no, my girls don't do that, but they do sit in my lap. I got Brim Brim. I got Brim Brim learning how to drive now. She's learning how to drive. That one there can almost drive by herself on a big one. Now, she can drive the mule around the yard. You know, the little, them mules, you know what I'm talking about? Them little motorized. Bigger than a four-wheeler, but not as big as a truck, you know? I, I, I knew how to do that. But not many, anybody say not many days, not many days after my birthday. I, the only reason I didn't get my license on my birthday is because it was a Sunday. But after school Monday, I was there getting my driver's license, and I was driving. Somebody say, not many days. <clears throat> he gathered all he had and journeyed to a far country. He didn't go. Somebody asked me, say, how old were you, you know, when you moved out of your house? I was uh, 18. No, I'm sorry. I'll take that back. I was 19. I was 19 when I moved out. I didn't move down the street. I didn't move across the street. I moved halfway across the country. Somebody say far off. He moved far off and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now the margin of my Bible says wasteful. Wasteful living. I'm not even going to try to touch that one. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that, ate the, swine, that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I will perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Can God restore a broken family? So what's the process? What are the steps of this restoration process? You got something that's broken, a broken relationship, a broken family. How do you restore that? Well, number one, you got to repent. Um, verse 18. He said, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you. The process of restoration, many of you maybe are believing for restoration in some relationships that you have. Maybe you're believing for your own restoration. The process begins with repentance. What is repentance? We've talked about this. What is repentance? Repentance is simply changing your mind. But let me give you another definition. I pulled, this up on the, on the, I pulled this up on the dictionary, and this is what the world says, that the, that the definition of repent is. To feel regret or sorrow. To feel or show that you are sorry for something bad or wrong that you did and that you want to do what is right. Now notice, notice the words of this definition. To feel regret. To feel sorrow. To feel or to show that you are sorry for something bad or wrong that you did. And that you want to do what is right. That's the world's definition. So I went to Webster's 1828 dictionary. This was back before they secularized all the Brother Webster's definitions. And this is what it says. Repentance is the relinquishment of any practice from conviction that it has offended God. I like that. Is the relinquishment. It means to change your mind. But that's not all true repentance. See, you can... Let me say it this way. There are three Greek words in the New Testament for repentance. Number one is a word that is used... To change your mind, such as to produce regret or even remorse on account of sin, but not necessarily a change of heart. This word is used with reference to the repentance of Judas in Matthew chapter 27, verse 3. He was sorry, he was regretful, but it wasn't enough to move him to change the attitude of his heart, thereby changing his actions. It wasn't enough. That's not the word that we're talking about. This prodigal son, that's not what he did. What did he do? He 
I will arise and go to my father and say to him, I will arise. Everybody say arise. He, the first inclination was not, I want to do something. That's not what he said. Repentance is not, I want to. Repentance, true repentance is, I will. Maybe, let, let me say it this way. As I was preparing, I got a picture of some folks in here. Your heart is broken because your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, your best friends, you've lost relationship with them and you want to be reconciled. You cannot, hear me, you cannot reconcile yourself to them if they have to repent of something that has happened that they've done. The father did not chase after the son. The son had already made up his mind. The father didn't chase after him. This is a decision that you cannot make happen. But don't worry. Hold tight. Put a pause button there because I'm going to show you what you can do. But you can't make it happen. The second word means to change one's mind and purpose as the result of after knowledge. That verb with the noun that is in the Greek metatonia is used of true repentance. It is a change of mind and purpose and life to which remission of sin is promised. It's not just you want to. You know, I want to do. I want to. The world is full of I want to's. This boy said, I will arise. True repentance is when you come to yourself, when you have a complete change of mind and you say, I will arise and go to that church or go to that altar or go to the message. I mean, when Langston was calling out this morning and when I was calling out this morning, it wasn't something that we planned. We weren't trying to make you come up, but there was something stirring in us. You need to come. It doesn't happen. Repentance doesn't happen until you change, but you can't change with your actions. Your heart has to change which your mind has to be renewed. Do you understand that? Your mind has to change, which thereby changes your heart because you see illumination of truth. And as a result of that truth, now you make a choice to arise. Psalm 51 verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Now I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a... a what I saw, I've been asking the Lord this question for years, and I believe the Lord answered me, for the for, for, not for the first time, but I believe He showed me revelation about this verse. You ready? Verse 14. But when He had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and He began to be in want. I don't know why. It shouldn't necessarily be this way. But sometimes we don't want God till we are in want. Now, you don't have to be like that. But this is an indication of, of the degree of uh, destitute and desperation that this young man was at. He had spent all he had. He didn't have to, but he did. He had spent all he had and there arose a famine in the land. So now he's not only is he broke, but so is everybody else. Well... 
That's what happened with the housing crash, the housing market in 2008 or 2009, somewhere around there when the bottom just fell out. All these folks, a lot of people bought houses more than what they were worth. There was a huge famine housing crisis in the land. And the answer that the government gave was give more money to the banks. That was the answer. How did that work out for us? Listen, the tests, uh, what is it that causes someone to be in want? What is it that, that drives us? It says that he began to be in want, but yet he didn't make the decision. Listen to me. He didn't make the decision then. So you can't say that if you get to the bottom of the bottom, then you'll know that I've seen people get to the bottom and die. This young man got to the bottom and he still didn't repent. What did he do? He sought out a, 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 a citizen of that country to work for them. And he began to work for, for nothing. He was, he was as, as of a slave. And he began to crave the husks that the pigs were eating in the mud. I mean, how low can you go? Well, we just got to pray that the Lord will break him. Stop praying that. Nowhere in the Bible do I see that revelation. You know what I see? I see Romans chapter 2. Do you not know that it is the goodness of God that leads men to change their heart, change their mind, and therefore arise and go to their Father? That's what changes people. The tests and trials in our life come as a result of one of two things. They either come as a result of the word being put into your heart. I mean, uh, <clears throat> in Matthew, it talks about the sower sows the Mark chapter. Uh, I got it wrote down. Mark chapter. Uh, uh, Mark chapter. I can't remember exactly. The sower sows the word. It's in. It's in the Gospel of Mark. But he talks about the four types of soil. One of those soils is as a result of knowledge, as a result of the word, the enemy comes and brings the trials of life to try to get you to turn loose of the word. That is one of the ways you get a revelation of who God is or you get a revelation of sound. You get born again today and you've never gotten born again. You get born again today. Rest assured, not when you go out to your car because he, no, he ain't got no authority on this property. But by the time you get down to that red light, the enemy's going to sneak into the back seat of your car and go, I don't know what you think happened. It wasn't nothing happened. Do you feel different? You're going to leave this place today and you're going to go home and the enemy's going to be sitting right there with a bill on the desk. And you're going to open that bill or you're going to see that bill and you're going to say, I can't believe I just said I was debt free and I owe $5,000 on this credit card. I ain't debt free. Listen. The enemy will come to test the word that has been sown in your heart. He will. He always will. Because that's how that old cuss does that. That's all he's got. Matthew chapter 13. I knew I'd find it. Matthew chapter 13 verse 21. Yet... Um, verse 22, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. He's trying to get you and I, to the word to be choked in our life because of the word. That's one way that a trial comes. That's not what happened with this guy. 
the son. The second thing that happens as a result, or the second way that, that trials come into our life, are a result of pride. As one, one person said, stupidity. It always seems that when things go wrong in our life, the first person we look at and the first person we want to blame sometimes is God. Now, do you want to know the second person we blame? The devil. I could see it now. If this was a modern day parable, the guy would be cussing his father because he didn't give him enough money. And the son would be blaming the devil. The devil's got this on me. He would be calling the churches around his area. Please pray for me because the devil has got me down in the muck and the mire. And I need someone to pray for me. A wise preacher, a wise pastor would say, no, you did this. What you need to do is repent. But that wasn't, that wasn't it. Verse 17 Verse 16 said, He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, But when he came to himself, he said, Listen, here's the key. How do you come to yourself? How do you come to yourself? You know, it's different for every person. So what I heard the Lord say, it's different for every person. It's as different for every person as every person's personality is unique and different. There's no two people with the same fingerprints. There's no two people with the same footprint. There's no two people made alike. Your body responds to food differently than other people's bodies respond to food. Uh, there, you respond to food differently than other people respond to food. We're different. We like different things. We enjoy different things. He's, he has created us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. You cannot stand up and say, well, if you pray that God will break him, he will come to repentance. That's not what happened to him. I mean, you, he was broke and there was a famine in the land and he was feeding pigs. How low can you go? And it says, but when? That tells me that he was in the muck and the mire for a pretty good while and then something happened and the light bulb switched. What? I asked the Lord, what was the light bulb? But when he came to himself, he said, you ready? Underline this. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. What was he remembering? The goodness of his daddy. Come on, somebody. Somebody help me now. Lord, what is that? Mr. Neva, I asked him, I said, Lord, what is that? What causes someone to come to himself? Bill, I said, Lord, please tell me. And this is what the Lord said. He said, the recognition of my goodness. You're not going to beat nobody over the head to make them live right. We tried that. It's called OT. Old Testament. Moses came down, saw the golden calf. You know, Charles, what was it, Branson? What was his name? No, that's the guy that was Virgin Mobile. Charlton Heston. I was close. 
Charleston Heston, that was before my time. Charlton Heston came down. We saw it. He threw the Ten Commandments down, and the thing split in half, and the ground swallowed them up. We've tried that. The day that the law was given, 3,000 people lost their life. But on the day that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of freedom and truth came, 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus. The law doesn't work. You cannot beat, scare, preach hell and brin fire to somebody and then get saved and it last. You might can scare them into the kingdom, but the enemy likes that because they ain't going to do nothing because they're scared. But if you show and demonstrate the goodness of God, this man recognized the goodness. He said, to, he said to me, and I'm saying to you, what is it that causes someone to come to themselves? The recognition of God's goodness. Well, how are we supposed to? So now some of you are like, well, what am I supposed to do? Let me show you what you're supposed to do. Remember I told you to push the pause button? Now I'm going to tell you to unpause it. What can you do for those that you know that need to repent? You can pray, Lord, demonstrate your goodness to them. Don't pray, Lord, starve them out. You're going to tell me that that father, because it said, I don't want to misquote it. Verse 20. But when he was still a great way off. What is a great way off? (laughs) This child right here, her wedding day, is a great way off. Now we use the driving example. Her driving is six years away, or five years away where she can drive with somebody, but six years away. That's a great way off. What's a great way off from here to the foyer? No? What about that field on the other side of the road, way down there by them telephone lines? That's a pretty good ways off, right? Can you shoot a deer in a great ways off? Well, some, if you got a good high-powered rifle, you can, but you got to be a pretty crack shot to do it. That's a great ways off. You shoot a deer from here to Casey, that ain't a great ways off. That's easy. That's shooting fish in a barrel. A great ways off. How did the father notice that it was his son? Because he had been sitting there every day. Well, that's not in Scripture. Yeah, you're right. But miraculously, on the day that he came home, the father just happened to see him. No, that's harder to believe than the fact that there was an anticipation of the father that his son was going to come back. You and I, that's what we pray. Father, I pray that your goodness would show forth to him. Father, show him your goodness. Show her your goodness. Demonstrate, bring remembrance to their mind of the goodness of God. Because that is, my friends, what will lead people to repentance. Goodness. I was reading a commentary and it said, you know, the recognition that you're a sinful being and that God is a holy God. I thought that is so... Everybody knows that. People know when they sin. It's like, that. you know, you're giving people... A, it's like the grace message people have said where you're giving people a license to sin. 
And what do we say to that? They don't need no license. They've been breaking the law for a long time. No, no. What is it that causes someone? He said, but I, but, but, but my father, how many of my father's hired servants? See, there was, there, was, there, was a, there was a repentant heart. He didn't even say, I will arise and go to my father because I am the son. No. He said, man, my, my father's servants, he treats them well. I will arise and go to my father. And here's the, here's the key to repentance. I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I have what? Sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not taking away the fact that when you come to this altar, you have to have a recognition of what has transpired. But you're make, you and I make the, the big thing, you need to recognize that you're a sinner. No, you and I need to recognize that we, even though we're sinners, he's died, Christ died for the what? Ungodly. That's the mountain that we need. To, we're trying to strain over a gnat and swallow a mountain. Mm-mm. It's the goodness of God. Number two, so first you got to have repentance. You got repentance, then what happened? What did happen? What did happen? What done happen? He said, verse 20, and, I, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Reconciliation, the definition is to cause people or groups to become friendly again after an argument or a disagreement. He fell on his neck and kissed him. Listen to this. What? One commentary said this. What? In all his filth? He wasn't... Listen, he'd been living with pigs. He was broke and there was a famine in the land. He didn't have time to go get a shower. Oh, y'all not following me. He was dirty. He was stinky. I would tell, like, my, like Brimmer says, that's stink stink. He was stink stink. There was pig poop and crap all over him. He was filthy. And what did his father do? It's good to see you, boy. He ran. Yes. In all his haggard, shattered wretchedness. Yes, our Father who art in heaven, He loved Him. Reconciliation takes hold when we allow Him to love us. You remember uh, two Sundays ago I talked about the lost sheep and I said what qualified the sheep for repentance? What qualified the sheep? The sheep had to allow God to love Him. The repentance is your part. But you got the reconciliation takes place when you allow the Father. And what happened? He said, and when he came, his father, he saw a great distance off. He saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, I could see him pushing the father away. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For that which was lost is now found. I want you to notice before we go to restoration. Reconciliation. 
He said, Father, I have sinned. The confession is uttered after the kiss of reconciliation. I've said time and time again, I've said to people, if you would just nod in the direction of the Holy Spirit, He would come running after you. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. But you understand the picture of what I'm saying. The the reconciliation process took place (laughs) before he even said, I'm sorry. And we want to make it a mandate for people to get born again. They got to say, I have sinned. Forgive me of my sin. What did he say was the qualifications for salvation? What did he say? Believe in your heart. See, you can't believe in your heart and confess with your mouth without a repentant revelation of where you've been and what you've been in. But that's for you. That ain't for him. Because in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The price was already paid. You and I are just getting on board and showing up. We're showing up to the party late, but we're showing up. That's what salvation is. It comes as a result of His goodness and us changing our mind and moving in the direction of God and we relinquish all the things that we know that are not to be, that are not for what He has called us to do. And we relinquish those things and we come to Him and His goodness, He wraps His arms around us and gives you a big old sugar before you even say, I'm sorry. Second Corinthians 5.18 says, Now all things are of God, who has, give, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, who has, who has, who has, has, past, present, or future. Past. Who has. And given us, uh-oh, the ministry of reconciliation. That's your ministry. I got good news for you. You've been reconciled. I know you feel dirty and you feel disgusting, but come here and let me hug on you and demonstrate how much God loves you. The word reconcile comes from two Greek words. One means, kata means down from, down upon, down in, indicating motion, down from a higher to a lower place. The second word is alasso, which means to change the form or nature of a thing. Come on, somebody. Used of the divine work of redemption, denoting that the act of redemption, insofar as God himself is concerned, by taking upon himself our sin and becoming an atonement. Thus, a relationship of peace with mankind is established. And the demands of justice were met. But the other word, there's another word that means propitiation and another word that means reconciliation that's aimed at averting God's wrath. But this is not the word we're talking about. This word implies God has laid aside or withdrawn His wrath. And He has spoken of the change that God makes in man through the conversion that He may be reconciled to a holy God. He has come down... Because we're not above God. 
He has come down to us and caused the process of reconciliation to totally transform us so that we can stand before Him as if sin never existed. That's what the word reconciliation means. That's the ministry that we've been given. You running and you boozing and you drinking and you doing all this kind of stuff and you running from the one who has already reconciled you. But you and I were out there living in the mud, living in the mire, living in the muck, and we didn't know it. Last but not least is when restoration takes place. First is repentance. You change your mind. How does that happen? You recognize His goodness and you receive it. Come on, somebody. The goodness of God. The goodness of God is like breadcrumbs. It leads you to that place of repentance. Come on now. Come on. Okay, help me. You lead. How are you going to lead somebody somewhere? He's leading you with His goodness. Come on, I got that. I'm going to heal you. I'll take care of that. Come on. You got a bill, dude. He takes care of that. You don't even know how it happened, but he does. I mean, you are the worst of the worst of the sinners. And somehow God touches you and blesses you and brings five people across your path to love on you and touch you. And what is he doing? He's leading you with his goodness. He's embedding memories in your mind. So for every memory that you have of your earthly father who was mean to you, he'll give you 1,500 good memories of how God has been good to you. That's our ministry. We're to demonstrate that to people. We're to demonstrate the goodness so that they will have the, a, a representation of God's goodness in their life today. But what's the next thing? Restoration. I meant reconciliation. We're reconciled. We, we come to this place before we can even say, I'm sorry, because we've repented. I will arise and go. And you come down here to the altar, and all of a sudden you can't even make it up here without squalling because God's love, He covers you, and people cover you, and we begin to love on you and kiss on you, and He loves you. The process of reconciliation has just taken place. But now the process of restoration. He said, let us kill the fatted calf and eat and be merry. Three things and then I want to, four things and I want to close. Restoration is the act or process of returning something to its original condition. You ready? What was the first thing he did? He kissed him. Yeah, I know that. That's reconciliation. What about restoration? What was the first thing he did? Bring a robe. A robe is the outer garment that was the dress of royalty and the stately rank. It was the garment of those who had high social distinction and of those high in church authority. What was the first thing he did? He gave him his authority and his position back by giving him the robe. What was the second thing he gave him? He gave him a ring. A ring were used as signets. They were given as tokens of investment with authority and of favor and dignity. They were generally worn by rich men. So what did he do? He restored him back to his place and his position by giving him the robe. Then he gave him his dignity and his authority back by giving him his ring. I want everybody to know that you're my son and you have dignity and worth and value and we think God wants people to be broke. What was the third thing he gave him? Shoes. Come on, somebody. Shoes were a sign of dignified dress, a symbol of wealth and provision. 
Slaves were barefooted, but not those belonging to a royal family. He gave him his person back. He gave him his place back. Then he gave him his position back. What about the fatted calf? The fat around the kidneys and the call, I had to look that word up. You know what the call is, right? The call is the membrane that is around the brain or around the fetus. It's very highly prized. Very highly prized. He said the fat around the kidney and the call was not to be eaten by the offer. When, they, when, when he said, well, let's kill the fatted calf, they would fatten these calves up. They would give them the best. They would feed them the best. And then they would bring them to the Lord and they would kill the fatted calf. And it was very bloody, but it was very expensive. The fat represents the good health and the well-being of the sacrifice. Good health and well-being are not possible with one who is living in false doctrines. Only when we come to ourselves and see himself as starving, does the, does, do we ever return to the Father? What the fatted calf represented in the law of the offerings was the fact that the offerer was giving of his best. He was giving God the fatted calf. And the Father says, go kill the fatted calf because what was lost is now found and bless God, we're going to celebrate. The very thing that we are, were to give God in the Old Testament is the very thing that he gave us in the fact that Jesus was the fatted calf. What was it about Cain and Abel? What was it that made Cain's offering so despicable? I mean, it, it did not please the Lord. Was it because he didn't want to give God the best? No. It was because he wanted to give God something that he had done. See, Abel was the shepherd. Abel was the cattleman. Uh, Cain was the farmer. That's why he brought, he was to go to Abel to get the fatted calf to offer to the Lord. But he thought that would be too bloody, and too messy. So what did he want? He wanted to give God something he did. Don't you see? That was what displeased the Lord. What? What breaks God's heart? What is it that causes God, God's heart to break? It's when we try to do something ourselves and we say, look at what I've done. I'm going to give this to God. No. <laughs> the son said, I could live as a servant better than I'm living now because my daddy's a good daddy. What qualifies us for his best is when we give the only thing that we have, and that's us. That's all he's asking. Well, you got to give God your best. You know what your best is? Your life. He's not impressed with your check. He's not impressed with your long prayers. We see scripture after scripture after scripture. He's after your heart. He's after my heart. He's after our life. Lord, we want to devote, um, I give myself away. How can we pray? How can, can God restore a broken family? Yes. yes, He can. How? By repenting, by recognizing, believing, and accepting His goodness, 
the restoration process takes place. I've said for years, people say, well, I, I wish we could just, you know, I wish we could just get all together and eat dinner. I wish we could just have be one big happy family. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen until repentance takes place. And I don't mean... I don't mean the judgmental repentance. I don't mean somebody falling in their place and begging, well, you begged long enough, I forgive you. That's not what I'm talking about. You understand that's the picture I want you to get out of your mind. Repentance is when we recognize the goodness of God and we say, Lord, here's my, here's my sacrifice. I will arise and I will go. And give myself away so that he can use me. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Can God restore a broken family? Can God restore a broken family? He can restore, has restored. It's just a matter of us receiving it. Cornell, would you play something light in the background? Some music light in the background. I know Haley's not here. What is it? What is it that call, What is it that that we can? Um, how can we do it? How can all of us now that we know we've got relationships in our lives that need to be restored? What can we do? We can pray. That's what we can do. We can pray for a true heartfelt repentance. But how do we pray for that? Lord, demonstrate. Show them your goodness. Let me be a vessel where I can demonstrate your goodness as the ministry of reconciliation. That I can come to people and I can demonstrate how much God loves them. That's what we can do. So I want everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm not going to call you out. This is the direction I felt like we needed to go this morning. Maybe you're here and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you're here and you are the prodigal son. I mean, that's you. You run it. And you're broke and you're metaphorically or even in the natural. You're broke. There's a famine in the land. Nobody would give you anything. You're at your wit's end. It's His goodness that I hear the Lord wanting to demonstrate to you this morning. His goodness. Hallelujah. Father, we love you. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I don't want to call you out. I don't want to embarrass you. Everybody's head is bowed. Every eye is closed. But I would like to pray for you. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Can I pray for you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. I don't, I'm not going to embarrass you because I said I wouldn't. But I want everybody's head bowed and every eye closed. We're just going to pray together. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray for all of us, especially those who raise their hand, Lord, we pray. But we pray for all of us because all of us need to raise our hand and remind ourselves of His goodness. All of us need to realize that there are things in our life that we need to come to ourselves in. It is a process. Look at me for a second. There are things in my life, okay? You can be uh, repentant in areas of your life and reconciled and have seen restoration in those areas in your life. And then there's other areas that you aren't quite, you're still holding on to. My life is an, you know, I give myself away. I've, I've given my life to the Lord. But there are things as recently as two weeks, three weeks ago that the Lord said, I know you've given your life to me, but I need to talk to you about something. There's something I want to talk to you about. And he began to deal with me about some, a, a specific thing in my life that it wasn't, a, a, it wasn't a thing that was so much a, a sin as much as it was just part of me crucifying more of my flesh in him. He began to deal with me and begin to show me as a father does, as a gentle father. And what did I do when I recognized it? Lord, for, forgive me. Forgive me for the, the pride in my life. Forgive me for not doing, putting others before me or, or whatever it may be. Father, forgive me for doing those things in my life. Whatever the Lord's dealing with you about, I encourage you, Father, forgive me. Not because He's asking you, but because that's your part. Father, I, I'm, I'm changing my mind. I'm seeing things. See, he began to unveil the word to me. You know, everything that God shows you isn't always necessarily feels good, good news. You know what I'm saying? But sometimes he shows you and he says, you know, that he gives grace to the humble. And he goes, right now, you may not qualify for that. I mean, how many of you know that? That's not necessarily good news. But it's news that you and I need to hear. And so, I, Lord, forgive me. For, for the areas in my life that I'm, you know, uh, he gives. And, you know, the, the, the scripture that we all want to qualify for is uh, we, he, uh, he supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But, but yet he was talking to a church that gave when they didn't have to give. And, and yet we don't give anything to God and we want to qualify for that. Well, isn't that contrary to what you just said, Pastor? No, because what is it? When you're not giving something away to God, what are you doing? You're holding on to it. You're, 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 you're taking your spoils and your inheritance and you're running off to this area over here and you're, you're doing something with it that you shouldn't be doing. It's the same, but He's loving you. And the minute that you say, Lord, I recognize, I, I see the light of your word. And I say, Father, I come, I have sinned against you and, and, and heaven. And I ask you to forgive me. And the, moment, the moment you come to that place, even before you can say you're sorry, He's wrapping His arms of love around you. So I think all of us qualify for that. Is what I'm getting at. So... Everybody raise your hand, lift your hands up to the Lord and say, Lord, I give myself away. Whatever areas in our life, Lord, that we've not given to you, whatever areas in our life that we are still holding on to, whatever it is in our life that we have figuratively taken and we've run off to a far country and we're trying to do this thing on our own, it's not necessarily that we're doing something that evil, but we're just not letting you do it, Father we will arise and we will come back to that place. 
Father, for those that are here that are believing God for a process of restoration. Now, how many of you are believing that a relationship, parents, children, whatever, you're believing God for restoration in any area of life in a relationship? I want you to raise your hand. All right, here's what we're going to do. Let's all hold hands then. We're going to, plenty of us, let's all hold hands. We're going to believe God together. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we gather together as a family of God, those that we are believing you for restoration in our lives, for those relationships that have been broken, for those relationships that have been severed, those prodigal sons and daughters that are out and living and frivolously, wastefully, wasting their life, wasting their talents, wasting their gifts. Father, our heart yearns and longs for them to come back. So, Lord, we pray, demonstrate your goodness. Father, remind them of your goodness. We pray for laborers. Father, we pray for laborers to come across their path right now in the name of Jesus. You said that the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. We pray for laborers, Lord, that you would send laborers into their path, that they would be a spitting image, representation of the goodness of God. Don't send religious people. We bind religious people. We bind those people that defame the name of Jesus and the, the, the very character and nature of the God that we serve. Father, we say send people that know that you are a good, good Father. That's who you are. And now we commit to every day or as often as we think about it, that we hold them up to you and we thank you for demonstrating your goodness to them because we know that it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. We ask you for it in the name of Jesus. And everybody together corporately as one voice and one heart say, Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, listen, it's been a, a good, good day in the Lord. I want to bless you. I want you to have a wonderful day. I want you to have a wonderful week. Don't forget, Wednesday night, our connect groups, they're, uh, they're a wonderful way to get connected and um, just a, a, a great way to get plugged in. Don't forget, next Sunday, uh, the Bishop Cornell will be preaching. You ready? So y'all come back and encourage him. Bring all your youth and, and uh, come back and let's build him up. And we'll see you next Sunday.